You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And in this episode, we discuss designing, incubating, and opening new schools. So Tom, tell us a bit more about where this conversation took place and what you discussed. We recently visited Houston with educators and community leaders from Kansas City. We picked Houston because it's been recognized as one of the best urban districts in the country with a well-developed personalized learning program, a vibrant network of magnet schools, including some really great dual language schools like Mandarin Immersion. Houston's also home to some great charter networks, including KIPP and YES and Harmony. As we've discussed on this uh, podcast, new learning models and new tools make new school development really attractive right now. But it's very expensive and takes years to plan uh, a new school. So the question is how to innovate, how to take advantage of all the new opportunity, but do it quickly, efficiently, and with low risk. One group thinking about this is the Houston A-plus Challenge. They've been supporting Houston teachers and schools for 20 years. And in addition to convening and PD, they've been supporting innovative learning models. One of those new models that caught our attention three years ago was Unlimited Potential, or UP. It's a blended micro school that was launched in Houston's museum districts. Two teachers and 40 middle school students spent three days a week in a converted office building in a blended learning program, and two days a week visiting museums. Paul Castro joined Houston A Plus in 2013 and oversaw the pilot program. In 2015, he applied for and was awarded charter school status. In 2016, he opened two sites of about 45 students each. Castro now serves as the superintendent of the growing network. In our interview, Castro discusses the rewards and challenges of innovating outside the box and what that means for students and families and teachers. Great. So this podcast took place over a dinner conversation with education leaders. So we invite you to pull up a chair, pass the butter, and listen in as we begin with Tom sharing his experience in opening new schools and tips he suggests for getting started with an idea. We need to find ways to introduce novelty and complexity to young people and and give them navigational skills to deal with new stuff and complicated stuff. And I see that happening um, at, at up. Just, just the ability to navigate public transportation, right, is for a middle schooler a new and complicated system, right, and asking them to, and then asking them to interact with a, an art museum, stuff they've never seen, things they've never thought about. So I, I love their school because I think it's far more relevant to the world that our kids are going to inherit. But we've built a system that's um, unkind, unwelcoming to schools that are radically different. So the other thing I appreciate about Paul's work is going to all the trouble of starting as a tuition-free private school just to give themselves license to try things and then introducing it into the public space. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and today we're talking about opening new schools and what a strong development plan includes. We just heard from Tom on his experiences, and now Paul Castro, Director of Performance for Houston A+, will share more about the model of Houston A+, how it's different, and what it takes to open a new school. So this is a scaffolded approach. Um, we don't look at kids as being as coming in at grade levels, but more like year one, year two, year three. The transition from, so 
I talked to a kid the other day. Uh, this is back in um, probably, probably December. And I said, um, do you like our school or not? He said, I don't. And I said, okay. I said, that's fair. What don't you like about it? And he said, well, I miss my old school. I said, what do you miss about your old school? He goes, I always knew what to expect over there. And I was like, well, that's fair, right? Yeah. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, you come in, um, you argue with your teacher, you get sent to the office, you get sent back. You argue with the teacher some more, you get sent to the office, you get sent to end school suspension, you come back. And he goes, and you just, that's happen that happens every day. And he goes, over here, like, y'all make us work. And I was like, good, right? So just breaking the model for some of our kids around what schooling is, how to play school, that's taken a semester, right? So even though we ran this free school for a semester, um, or for three years, back in, back in ground level, really. And so this year, semester one is, I want you to consider something different, right? You're the captain of your ship. Figure this out. As we move forward, we're going to look to build in uh, problem-based learning as a component, not the component, but a component of how we ask kids to work. The other thing is, like right now, we ask our kids every day to struggle through three or five major math problems. Whether they're in grades six, seven, or eight, they get grades six, seven, and eight, like high-level math questions. And then what we ask them to do is work with each other. And that thing, where they have to identify, create their own support structures, where they have to identify and create their own learning, is step one in critical thinking. Um, we know that eventually, and this is from, uh, this is a Gallup uh, University of Missouri study about people who are successful in life. Problems that take longer than a semester to solve is a critical component of people who are successful in life, right? And that's from college graduates. People who have established long-term relationships with one or more professors at the college level are successful in life. And so we thought, well, if it's, if it's true at, at college, it's probably true at middle school too. So now we're in the process of thinking about, and this is where Catherine and her strategic thinking is really helpful. What are those problems that we could ask kids to struggle with for months, right? How often is a middle schooler asked to struggle with something for months, right? They're usually asked to create projects. Project's not learning, a project is a thing. And we're gonna be asking kids to do that. We're in the design part of that. So we don't have answers for that, but we do know what True North is and we're gonna be moving in that direction. Next, we asked Paul about replication and scaling of the model, and if local districts had any interest in the A-plus model. He also shares some of the challenges they're facing after being open for a couple of years. We applied for XQ. We were one of the 50 schools in the finalist group, oh, wow. but our need was only 1.8 million, and I don't think it was sexy to award a 1.8 million for a $10 million grant, so I was like, oh, we should have asked for 10, you know? It's like <laughs> trips to Europe. Um, Yes is the answer. We, we, so right now, there's a school that's literally across the highway from us in, in Second Ward in a, in a whole different community. So it's a Hispanic community. They don't come south. The African Americans in Third Ward don't go north. It's like literally a wall. Might as well be the Great Wall of China. It's where I-45 is. That school where I've worked with the principal as a mentor for three years has adopted our model. So they're using stuff from Summit. They're using ideas from us. So they visited our school multiple times and they've implemented it at no cost. Like they didn't, like we're not charging them. And it's like a, 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 an idea guided implementation. 
and they're making it their own, which makes us happy. KDISD, which is in the suburbs, they're wanting to do something similar. And I'm working with the principal there, and they're like, hey, we want to do this. So there's a lot of schools that are starting to popcorn up, and Catherine and I are now working to create a network of principals and teachers who can come together and starting at something like just a dinner, right? And to start talking about what are you doing? What am I doing? And let that be the grassroots nature where people want to, where people know, I want this for my kid. I'm going to make this happen. And then I think when people do it under the radar, the next step is the district will buy in. But I think this is going to be a ground up thing. But once that happens, it's going to be really hard because parents are going to want that for their kid. When they're like, oh, I can have them sit in rows and desks and like be bored to tears, or they can be fully engaged. And the thing we don't offer, they can have band and choir and football and basketball. That's what I know. That's what we should have done. We should have bought that. But but that's our next step is to get people hungry around it. So, so we're how, in contact. How many make that kids happen. at each site? About uh, 45 kids per site. So okay. Yeah. So we've doubled so, from our so previous serve. So I would call this a micro school model, yeah. right? We talked about this. Like you start with two kids and or two teachers and 40 or 45 kids. Uh, the interesting thing about the structure is that it's a teacher-led school, mm-hmm. right? You don't have a principal on site. You have teachers that are working in a framework uh, with Paul, but it's a it's a very interesting new structure, and we're seeing these pop up uh, all over the United States in public, private, charter. Yeah. And, and, and the thing we're learning, and Catherine and I have been talking about this a lot, is so, so areas that we know we need to get better at, we were so focused on curriculum and instruction and the model that we didn't do a lot of leadership development. Yeah. And so now we're facing things where people are coming and they're like, well, if only we didn't have these three kids. I was like, well, of course, you know, of right. course. Because if, if those three kids left, guess what? Those other three kids, they would change into those three kids, right? And not understanding that, like, you're always going to have three, you're always going to have 10% of your kids that weigh you down, right? And it doesn't matter what school you're at. You can be the most prestigious private school. You're only going to have that group of kids and that group of parents who, who like, make 90% of your day disappear. That's not the question. The question is, what programming, what changes can we make? Look in the mirror before the microscope. Yeah. Uh, and that training we didn't do for a variety of reasons. Now I'm like, I'm so thirsty for the summer because now all the things that we know we didn't do, we know we need to do, and we're going to get it done, right? But that's like part of our model that um, we know we need to put back in and we need to talk about curriculum instruction and grading practices and all that. And all those are things that happen, have to happen. But, um, but it's fun to watch people whose prior leadership experience may have been like department chair, right? Now, the newest person we hired is a, was in a former assistant principal who's going back into the classroom. And that's an interesting switch because he was like, Paul, my day used to be, you know, I'd walk in, there'd be a cup of coffee, I'd drink my coffee, I'd walk, do two classroom observations, tell other people what to do, go back to my office, check out my CNN feed. And he goes, and now, you know, by noon, I'm tired, you know? And my wife's like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, you're grown. And he's like, yeah, I know. But I know I'm making an impact every day, right? So he's fired up for a whole different set of reasons. So I have aspiring people moving up. I have other people who, because I've interviewed so many people like, well, my career path is blank, right? My career path is not working with kids. And as soon as someone says that, it's kryptonite. I'm like, wow, you know, good luck with that. But that's not us, right? Mm-hmm. I personally have been in the classroom with kids every day for the last, you know, since we opened. 
because it makes me happy. And those are the people we want. We want people who are happy to work with kids. We want people who get excited about being in the classroom. There is often hesitation when new models are proposed, and you aren't always sure of what the outcomes will be for students. We asked Paul to talk about this. One of the schools that we partnered with last year, all right, so I'll tell you a tale of two schools. So last year, we came in, and we came in with the answer, right? Here's the answer. And the teachers who were asked to implement it weren't comfortable with it, and it sucked, right? Uh, the results, it felt good, but the results, eh, not so much, right? So then um, the school leader is a friend of mine, and we had multiple knockdown drag out fights. And she finally said, you know, Paul, I want to do it my way. Great, do it your way. What does that look like? She said, I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm going to figure it out with my staff. Great, she did. She went and hired a person that she and I, we, she, we both used to work for KIPP, and she went, work for, she went over there, uh, the highly effective charter school, and she handpicked someone I would not have hired. A very, like, this kind of cut and dry, there, there's, a, there's black and white, that's it. She hired that person to come in. And I thought, that's interesting, right? So, um, but go with it. I come to visit the classroom. There are 50 kids in her classroom. Well, more precisely, 35 kids are in her classroom. 15 kids are sprawled out in the hallway working in groups that they've decided on themselves. And every single kid is on task. Um, every single kid is highly engaged. There's music playing. And the teacher, Rachel, is sitting there. She's chilling. And I, and I was like, Rachel, what, what's happening? She goes, this is fun. She goes, why did we ever do anything different? And I said, what do you mean? So she was a person who, if you walked in her classroom at KIPP, it was the most, it was the tightest culture classroom, entirely driven by her around my expectations for you were to do X and X happened every day. She walked into this classroom and she worked with kids and every single kid's engaged in a way that they wanted to be engaged. And guess what? She wanted to be engaged. So she's bought in. She designed this classroom. This wasn't designed by the school leader. It wasn't designed by us. She designed it in collaboration with her school leader who had been influenced by us. They saw Summit. So all those parts came together. The innovation is really around what do these kids need when they're 21, 31, 41? We don't know. But what they don't need probably is how to follow directions because those jobs are disappearing. And so it was really this idea around let's design it around the future kids in mind and let's create something that they're excited about and those kids own their classroom. But more importantly, the whole community, the parents, the kids, and the teachers own that. And again, a person I would not have hired built that. And, and it's a beautiful thing to see. And, and the next time you guys are here, you should go visit the campus because it's awesome and, and, um, and, it, and it's working. But I, I get what you're saying, and that is, man, why don't people give us credit? And there's a lot of stuff you could screw up. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff you could screw up. They just got back their MAP scores, which is a, a, an achievement or a, a, a growth-based yeah. test yeah. through NWA, and uh, they destroyed it. I mean, the kids did amazingly well. So the results are there midterm. The kids are happy. They have they don't have any turnover with kids. Um, oh, and, and the teachers are, the teachers are happy, the kids are happy, a lot of good stuff's happening. I get what you're meaning, and, and it's scary. She was so scared that this was going to blow up in her face. Thanks for listening in today. If you liked what you heard, be sure to check out Season 1, Episode 35 of the Getting Smart Podcast, where Mike Feinberg, co-founder of the Knowledge is Power program, also known as KIPP, discusses what's important when opening great new schools as part of our hashtag new school series. That was a great episode. And for more on microschools, listen to Matt Candler's keynote to the 4.0 Schools Community Summit, Season 2, Episode 36. 
You'll find these podcasts on our iTunes channel, along with over 80 additional episodes featuring ed leaders speaking on topics ranging from design thinking to micro-credentials to the future of blended learning. While you're there, be sure to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And we'd love it if you consider sharing our podcast with others via whatever social networks you use. Thanks to Paul Castro for sharing his expertise with us for this podcast, to Tom for the great interview, to Emily Liebtag for production, and to Andrew Luck for mixing it together and making it sound so good. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com and follow us on Twitter at getting underscore smart. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Kat and Tom signing off. <laughs>